Welcome to Directions in Rashi, a podcast that will help you understand individual comments from Rashi throughout the Chumash, and that will also introduce you to some of the general principles which I feel uh, directed Rashi in his creation of his commentary, and that will help us to understand his commentary better all around. Welcome. In Parshas Vayeshev, Yosef's brothers sell him into slavery and they slaughter a goat and they dip Yosef's famous coat into the blood of the goat and they go back to Yaakov, the father, and they try to sell him a story that Yaakov has been torn apart by some wild animal. Yaakov is, of course, very upset and it says in Perak, Lamed Zion, Pasuk Lamed Dalet, he mourned for his son for many days. And we continue to read, All of his sons and daughters rose up to comfort him. And he refused to be comforted. And he said, I will go down to the, to the grave as an ovel in mourning because of my son. And his father cried for him. I'd like to focus in this shear on two relatively small points in the Rashi comments on this Pasuk. Let us begin with this part of the Pasuk, where it says that Kol Banov, all of his sons and all of his daughters, tried to comfort Yaakov. Of course, all of his sons, we know who they are. They were all introduced to us at their birth in Parshas Vayetze, but who are called Benaisov? We only know from, from the Torah itself, we only know of one daughter that Yaakov had, that's Dina. So who, who, who are these called Benaisov, all of his daughters? So Rashi here quotes a Midrash. Rabbi Yehuda Aimer, Achiyais to Umais Noldu in Kol Shevet Veshevet, twin sisters were born together with each Shevet, each of the brothers had a twin sister, Vinasum, and they married them. As I mentioned once, uh, it was already perhaps several years ago, Mepharshim explained, Ramban and others, that they didn't, each Shevet did not marry his own twin sister. He married the twin sister of one of the other brothers. Okay. Rabbi Nechem Yoimer, Kenani Yisoyu. So that's who these Kolbanaisov were. They actually, Yaakov had other daughters besides Dina. Okay, we don't read about their birth in uh, Parshas Vayetze for whatever reason. I once discussed that, not going to repeat it, but he did have other daughters. And so these daughters also tried to comfort him uh, when, he, uh, when he heard that Yosef had been killed. Rabbi Nechemia Imer, Knania Sayu. Rabbi Nechemia says that these daughters were Canaanites. They were uh, women from Canaan. Meaning, uh, well, let's continue. It, it means that each of the each of each of the Shvatim, each, each of Yaakov's sons, married an Isha Canaanis, a, a woman from Canaan, a non-Jewish woman from Canaan. As we'll see in a moment, uh, and, and as we can assume, they were not. Uh, they did not continue to worship idols. Uh, they became trustworthy. Uh, members of the of the Yaakov family, and they became uh, 
monotheist, but where did they come from? They were from Canaan. Ella, Mahu Kolbenaisa, but what does it mean, Kolbenaisa? If they're not really his daughters, they're really his daughters-in-law. So Rashi says, Kaloisa, it means they were his daughters-in-law. A Kala in, in, in the Torah language means a daughter-in-law. Because a person does not withhold, he does not prevent himself from calling his son-in-law Benoi. He calls him my son. And sometimes he calls his daughter-in-law my daughter. So what does it mean that all of Yaakov's daughters try to comfort him? It means all of the daughters-in-law, the wives of each of his sons. Just a very small point that I'd like to make. According to Rabbi Nehemiah, that the word benoisov refers to daughters-in-law rather than to actual daughters. So we can ask a very obvious and simple question. Okay, it's true that sometimes a person refers to his daughter-in-law as my daughter, but why specifically does the Torah do so here? It's not that a person always refers to his daughter-in-law as my daughter. Certainly not today. One doesn't always refer to, sometimes a person says my children, he means his sons-in-law and sons-in-law and daughters-in-law also. But he also sometimes says my daughter-in-law did this and my son-in-law invited me over there. And it's not like one must refer to them. So why here does the Torah refer to the daughters-in-law of Yaakov as his daughters? I think the answer is really quite simple. Even according to Rabbi Yehuda, that these were his real daughters. Why are they mentioned over here? Apparently, um, they don't have so much individual importance. You see that their births were not recorded in Parshas Vayetze. They are not. Uh, they are not part of the structure of the Shvatim of Klal Yisrael. They are in some way secondary to that. They, they, they participate, but but they're not. They weren't named elsewhere. So why are they mentioned here? According to Rabbi Yehuda, the answer is the Pasuk wants to tell us just how stubborn Yaakov was not to be comforted. I don't mean that he's a stubborn person, but just how distraught he was that even his sons came to console him and even his daughters, perhaps a daughter has a, a different way of speaking and of comforting, and even his daughters came and it didn't help, and, and he refused to be comforted. That's according to Rabbi Yehuda. And according to Rabbi Nehemiah, it's really the same point. His sons came to comfort him. It didn't help. Sometimes a, a female approach, a feminine approach is uh, more effective. But the Pasik is saying his daughters-in-law came and didn't, and it didn't help. Maybe you'll say, well, they're not his, uh, they're not his blood relatives. They're not actually his children. So here the Pasik says, yeah, but a person often refers to his daughters-in-law as my daughter, and Yaakov included. These were not, uh, as I said before, these were not just shiksis. These were not uh, Canaanite women who did Avedah Zorah and whom Yaakov despised. No, these were his beloved daughters-in-law to whom he would often refer to as my daughters. He had a soft spot in his heart for them, and yet nothing worked. When he was convinced that Yosef was dead, there was nobody male or female, who could comfort him. Okay, that's a very short point. Let's continue. Yaakov said, 
Tered Elbeni Avel Shoiva. I will go down to the grave as a mourner because of my son. Meaning this, this Avelus will never end. I'll simply mourn and mourn and mourn, and finally, eventually, I'll go down to the grave. Rashi says, Avel Shoiva Kipshutai. The word Shoal is, according to its simple meaning, Rashi says, Lashain Kevahu. It is an expression of the grave. And Avel Shoila means the Evli Ekaver. In my mourning, I will be buried. I'll continue to mourn and to mourn, and eventually I'll just be buried in that state. Loi Esnachem Kol Yamai. I will not be comforted all the days of my life. That's simple pshat. Uve Midrashai, but the Midrash is as follows. Gehinoim. The word Shahol, Shaol, is a name for Gehenim. It is a name for that place, whether it is a physical place or some sort of spiritual state, but it is a name for that place where sins are, are expiated after one's death. It is a very unpleasant place, a very necessary and beneficial place, actually, but not a pleasant place. He says, In other texts of Rashi, it just says, this simon, this sign was given over to me from the mouth of Hashem. Hashem gave me the following sign. If none of my sons will die during my lifetime, so then I am promised, I am guaranteed that I will not have to see Gehenim. The inverse, of course, is that now that one of my sons has died during my lifetime, at least he thought so. So now that that has happened, Nebuch, I'm going to have to suffer to some amount in Gehinim. So therefore, that's what he means. I will go down because of my son, Avel. I will go down as a mourner, Sha'ila. I will have to go to Gehenim. Now, this needs explanation. Uh, we can understand that, that Yaakov felt that in this world, his life was just doomed to, to sorrow at this point. He's missing his beloved son, Yosef. So it's gonna be a very bitter remainder of his life. He's going to be mourning and mourning and mourning. Okay, but why does that mean that he's gonna to have to go to Gehenna? What is this promise exactly that, that HaKadosh Baruch Hu gave him? He said, if, if one of your sons, if no one of your sons died, dies during your lifetime, you will not have to go to Gehenna. And if one of your sons does die during your lifetime, unfortunately, you, you may have to go to Gehenna. Now, what is the, how do we understand such a promise? As I've explained, I think I explained this once before, if a person, uh, if a parent loses a child, if a child dies during the lifetime of the parent, so it's it's a very catastrophic event. It's it's a terrible thing. It 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 really does ruin people's lives. It is very disruptive psychologically. But that's in this world. Why should we say that the parent loses Olam Habo? It's a very difficult. Very difficult situation to deal with. None of us should have to deal with it. 
But what does it got to do with Olam Habo? Olam Habo is uh, if, you, if, you, if you're a good boy or a good girl and you, you do all that you're supposed to do, you, you go to Olam Habo. If you make certain mistakes and certain, certain sins, so you go to Gehenim for a while. But what's that got to do with losing a child during one's, li- during one's lifetime? Why would it be that if Yaakov would, would, would lose a child during his lifetime, that he then was promised that he, uh, he's gonna, going to have to go to Gehenna. This is the question that I would like to address. There is quite little that I could find written about this, but let's take a look at some of the sources. Rashi's source, apparently, is the Midrash Tanhoma here in Parshas, actually it's in Parshas Vayigash. That explains why I had a little trouble finding it. It's not here, but it's in Parshas Vayigash. Let's read the Midrash carefully, word for word. We will see that, yes, Rashi presumably knew this Midrash and based his comment on this Midrash, and yet we'll see that Rashi's comment is not exactly like the Midrash. So here the Midrash says, Mahu ki What is the meaning of this expression here in Parshas Vayeshev? I will go down because of my son to the to the to to Shaol as a mourner. Omar, Yaakov said, Ani I am going to die like the death of the evil people, meaning I will die in Olam Habo. My, my death will will continue. I'm not going to live into Olam Habo. Because HaKadosh Baruch Hu promised me 12 Shvatim. He promised me that he would give me 12 children who will become the 12 tribes of Israel. But one of them has been grabbed away from me. He has been grabbed by a wild animal and killed. So So perhaps I have not merited to have them. And I will die in both worlds. I'll die in this world. Everyone dies in this world. But I will die in the next world also. I will not, uh, not be able to experience the rewards of the next world. Therefore he said, This is what he meant, that I will go down to the Sha'ol. I will go down to Gehenna um, as, a, as a mourner. Now, the meaning of the Tanchoma, of this Medrash, would seem to be as follows. HaKadosh Baruch Hu promised to Yaakov Avinu Shneim Asar Shvatah. HaKadosh Baruch Hu promised him 12 Shvatah. Now, if one of them was taken away from me, it must be that I, Yaakov, was, was really bad. I, I really don't, don't deserve it. I must have done something terribly wrong if one of them was taken away. Here, God promised them to me, and somehow I didn't get it. Well, it's not, it's not Hashem's fault. Shem could certainly fulfill the promise. It must be, I'm a bad guy. Shem It must be that, that I didn't merit to have these, these 12 shvotim. And therefore, it's my fault. And therefore, I have to go to Gehenna. Therefore, I'm losing my Olam Habo. Okay, it's, it's logical. It makes sense. I don't think it's Rashi. I don't think this is what Rashi is saying. There are several very important differences between this midrash, if you look at it word for word, and Rashi's comment. 
if you look at it word for word. First of all, the Midrash says that the promise that Hashem made is that he promised to give to Yaakov 12 tribes. Everything else is Yaakov Avinu's own logical reasoning. Yaakov said, well, Hashem granted me these 12 tribes, but, but it doesn't happen. One of them dies. That must be, I'm a bad guy, and therefore I have to go to Gan. But the promise was just that Hashem promised Yaakov 12 tribes. Let's go back and take a look at Rashi. According to Rashi, that is not what a Kodesh Baruch who promised to Yaakov Avinu. Rashi says, Simen This sign was given to me by Hashem. If no one of my sons dies during my lifetime, So then I am promised that I will not see Gehinoim. According to Rashi, the promise is not, I, Hashem, am giving you 12 tribes. I mean, there may have been such a promise, but that's not what's being referred to here. The promise is that if no one of them dies while you're alive, you won't have to go to Gehinoim. So a completely different promise. In addition, another difference between the Midrash in Rashi, the Midrash seems to indicate that, that, that Yaakov thought that he's not going to Elam Abba at all. He said, perhaps I have not merited to have these 12 Shvatim, and I'm going to die in both worlds. It sounds like a chorus. It sounds like the way the Ramam describes the punishment that is called chorus. It means that the person dies, and after death, the soul is simply destroyed. The soul never, never enjoys Olam Habo. That's what it sounds like from the Midrash Tanhuma. If you look at Rashi, that's not what it says. Rashi says, I was promised, or there was this simon, that if none of my children die, I won't have to see Gehinoim. Now, seeing Gehinoim doesn't mean your soul is destroyed and you will never enjoy Olam Habo. Maybe you'll have to see Gehinoim for a short while. Maybe you'll have certain sins that need to be burnt away, need to be expiated, but it doesn't mean no Olam Habo for you. So in both these points, the Tanhuma and Rashi seem to be talking about different things and therefore, I don't think we have to say that Rashi, I don't think we can say that Rashi means what this Midrash Tanchoma means. If we continue and we look at some of the super commentaries on Rashi, we see the following. There is a super commentary on Rashi known as Be'er Basodeh. Uh, written something like 300 years ago. I didn't, I didn't look it up this time. Um, he lived in, the author lived in Yerushalayim. He apparently uh, learned to some extent from the author of the Mosque of the David, whom I always quote. Anyway, the Be'er Basadeh says as follows. I'll read a little bit and, and paraphrase a little bit. He says that Yaakov was afraid that he will have to go down to Gehenna, not for himself, chas v'shalom, not that he will, he will be punished in Gehinoim, because Yaakov, he was a complete tzaddik. He's certainly not going to be punished in Olam Habo. Yaakov thought that he's going to have to go down into Gehinoim 
for his son who died. Bichaye Avim, during the life of his father. Visavor, he thought, Shemachas Vishalam Bishil Risha Sai. Maybe the reason that this son Yosef died is because this son Yosef was a Russia, or at least somewhat, at least was at fault in some manner. He thought that Yosef died because of some sin that Yosef must have done. Otherwise, why would he die? And therefore, Yaakov thought that he, Yaakov, would be forced, would be compelled to go down to Gehinoim, Elov Mohitsio, to Yosef to take him out. Very uh, Hasidish sounding, uh, very um, poetic, romantic uh, image we have here. Yaakov thought that if his son Yosef died, while he, Yaakov, was still alive, so that's, that's a terrible thing. And therefore, it must be that Yosef did some terrible Avera and is, and is going to have to go to Gehenna. And therefore, Yaakov is going to have to go there like a Chassidah and schlep out his son Yosef from Gehenna. Uh, it would seem that the, the author of Be'er Basada was bothered with the same question that we are dealing with, that what does the death of one of Yaakov's sons have to do with going to Gehenna? And so he answers in a very, um, shall we say, a very creative fashion. He says that the, the promise that HaKadosh Baruch Hu made to Yaakov, that if none of your children died during your lifetime, you won't have to see Gehenna means that if one of your children does die during your lifetime, you may have that, that 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 will only be because the child did some terrible sin, and you may have to go down, you may have to descend into the inferno, you may have to descend into Gehinoim and pull that poor child out of there. I don't think that uh, I don't think that's the simple way to read Rashi. Very interesting, but I don't think it's really what Rashi means here. There's a Gurarye. I've mentioned this once before. The Gurarye explains Rashi as follows. He says, the Mishpat Rashoyim Begehinoim is Yud Beis The maximum term of punishment in Gehenim is 12 months. That's as long as anybody stays, at least normally. And therefore, HaKadosh Baruch Hu told Yaakov Avinu that if all your children survive you, if they all outlive you, so that's 12 children, each child will expiate for you one possible month in, in Gehenna. And therefore, you won't, if, if all of them outlive you, then you won't have to go, you won't have to go to Gehenna. Even if perhaps... Uh, you had done something wrong. It's not specified what that wrong thing might be. But even if perhaps you made certain mistakes, but you have 12 children, each one of them is a tzaddik, if they outlive you, so then uh, the first month that you might have to stay in Gehenim, that's knocked off by Rubek. And the second month that you might have to stay in Gehenim, that's knocked off by Shemayin, and so on. Okay, also very creative. Uh, I hesitate to to take issue with the with the author of the Goraye. I don't come to his to the to the to any part of him. I don't come to the bottom of his heels. 
and a thousand miles below there and maybe a million miles below there. Nonetheless, it's not clear what, what sin are we talking about on the part of Yaakov? And why, why does this only work if the child outlives the father? What if the child was a tzaddik and lived uh, 50 years and died and the father was still alive? That, that child is not a merit to the father and that child can't knock off one potential month of punishment in, in Gehinoim? I'm not sure why not. Lule de Mistafina, if I were not afraid of disagreeing with my, with my betters, I would say Shatnarashi as follows. I've said this before, but I'm repeating it because now that I've investigated the subject a little more, I'm more and more convinced that the following explanation is necessary. It's not necessarily true, but some explanation is necessary because I don't find in the Svarim that I see that anyone has sufficiently explained this Rashi yet. I believe as follows. Yaakov Avinu had one main mission in his lifetime, one primary task that he was called upon to achieve, and that is to create the Klal Yisrael, to create the Jewish nation as a 12-part conglomeration. Of course, it's all one Jewish nation, but there, this is the divine plan. There should be 12 flavors. There should be a Reuven way of serving a Kodesh Baruch Hu and a Shimon way and a Levi way. Each one has its own unique and individual path towards a Kodesh Baruch Hu. And that is Yaakov Avinu's job to raise these children, to raise these sons, so that each one of them is a unique and important and appropriate path that will lead towards the Kodesh Baruch Hu. Now, if none of them, if none of these children will die during Yaakov's lifetime, so then that means that Yaakov will have completed his task completely. He will have done his task 100%. And then, I am promised by Hashem, I will not see Gehenim because I've fulfilled my primary task in this world. Okay, maybe I made a mistake here or there on some other point, but I did the primary, I have accomplished the primary goal for which I was put on this earth. What will be if one of my children predeceases me? What's wrong with that? I did my best. Is it my fault that the person died? I didn't kill him. So it would mean like this. Part of Yaakov's task of developing the 12 Shvatim of Klai Yisrael is to, of course, teach each one of them everything that he knows. All of the Torah, all of the Yerushalayim and to be an influence for good on each and every one of them. And this influence and this teaching is not something that is static. What Yaakov could teach his children when he was uh, 85 years old, when his children were just being born, is not the same thing that he could teach them when he was 95 years old. At that point, he could teach them and he can influence them even more because in the interim, Yaakov has become a greater person. And it's not what Yaakov could uh, teach them and influence them when he was 120 and 130 and so on. Each additional year 
means that Yaakov had gone higher and higher and higher in levels of Torah, in levels of fear of Hashem, in levels of closeness to Hashem, in levels of spirituality. His goal was to impart all of it to all of his children. That's all good if all of his children live at least as long as he does. So that means on his last day on this earth, when he is at the top of the mountain, as far as far as he could possibly go, he is influencing and transmitting all of that to each of his children. But what if one of his children die before he does? Let's say Yosef dies at this point when Yaakov was, I think Rashi somewhere says exactly how, how old Yaakov was at this point, but that's, he was whatever. He was X years old. That means that the amount, the, the greatness that Yaakov accrues in the following years, Joseph gets no part of that. He's not influenced by that. He has no exposure to it. He cannot learn from it. That would mean that Yaakov did not fulfill his, his true goal in life. And that's why Yaakov understood that if one of his children dies before him, he, Yaakov, is going to have to pay for it in Gehinim. I think that this is perhaps a good, simple, and direct approach to Rashi. I am more than willing to hear other opinions on this topic, but I think this is, this is the best that I can understand it at this moment.